Well, good morning. Let's go ahead and get started. And uh, welcome, welcome to week two of Colossians. Let's let's pray. A gracious Father, thank you for this day once again that you have given us. You've given us the breath to live and to worship you. Lord, I pray that uh, you that you would be blessed in our study of your word. That we would be blessed in the study of it as we uh, begin to learn to. Turn our lives to you in our prayer. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we're, we're up. It's week number two. Paul's epistle to the church at Colossae. Nine weeks. Here we are. Dave Schlemmy. That's my email address and phone number. I think everyone here knows that. Um, the letter to the Colossians. We saw last week that it is an epistle. It's a letter where the uh, it's a letter written for a purpose. The author is writing with uh, uh, authority, uh, with the one with whom he's been given a message. So Paul is writing to a letter at Colossae. The message of Colossians we summarized it in a couple of bullets: the truth, of the preeminence of Jesus Christ in all things must be proclaimed by God's people to all nations. And then furthermore, say the truth, the preeminence of Jesus Christ in all things must be practiced by God's people in all ways. Or, Paul says this one, chapter 3, Christ is all and in all. He is the supreme one. He governs all things. This week, we're here. We're in week number 2. Uh, we'll be looking at the, the last part of his introduction, his greetings, Paul's prayer on behalf of the Colossians. And we saw that, uh, that was, yeah, this, we're finishing up these, we looked at verses 1 and 2 last week, and we're going through 14 this week. Uh, God willing, if not, we'll find a convenient place to stop and then we'll move on. Uh, geographic setting is there in Asia Minor. We'll move quickly through that. In Colossae, the three cities of Heropolis, Laodicea, and Colossae were in the Lycus River Valley, about 100 miles from Ephesus, to put it into perspective, where we, uh, where Paul probably buried the Papyrus, and he uh, came to know the Lord, and then Papyrus came and evangelized the, the Colossians, where he was from. Uh, so why did Paul write the letter to the uh, Colossians? Right? Why did Paul write the letter to the Colossians? Well, to guard against a her- error, to guard against uh, a heresy that was that was going on in the church. He wanted to guard them. He wanted them to live in a way that they were called to live. He wanted them to have a right view of Christ. The point is, they were in Colossae, they were in this world, and they were in Christ. A little graphic there that shows, yes, they're still in Colossae. They're also in Christ. And together, it, it's, it's whole. It's not, it's not like it's worse to be one place or the other, but this is where we are. We exist in Dallas. We exist in Christ. This is the life that we live right now. Right? So that's the point. The Colossians were the same way. Today, we broke uh, today's uh, looking at the verses 3 through 8, and then we'll look at verses 9 through 14. As we see, Paul comes, this is typical, he comes, and after greeting them, he gives 
a, a note of thanks. This is very common in the ancient letters. Let's read verses 3 through 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, or of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and has told us of your love in the Spirit. Again, this is typical of Paul's letters. Okay, Paul begins nearly every one of his letters with a word of thanks, of thanks for the believers. But who's his thanks directed to? His thanks is directed to God. He's not thanking them. Thank you for being so faithful. No, he, he is thankful to God. He gives glory to God for the faithfulness or, or the, the things that he sees in their lives that speaks well of the Lord. It is a praise for the believers. It is directed to God. God gets the glory. Remember, we had an exception. Galatians, okay, they were, they were all caught up in legalism. Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't thank God for them. He gets right into it and correcting them, okay? So, so it's, it's, Paul's got a purpose when he does this. It's not just words to throw out before he gets to the meat of the letter. He is teaching and he is instructing even in this. Let's look at the let's look at the root of the stem from where the Thanksgiving comes. Let's let's work our way through those verses, Bill. I just think it's really neat when you think about the things Paul is saying because he's saying these things to people that years before he would have been condemning to death. Yeah, Paul didn't even and Paul didn't even know him. Right? He's speaking kindness, he's speaking words of thanks. There is warmth, right? And as if they were Christians, when he was a Pharisee, he would have he would have sat there while they were stoned. He would have he would have pursued them. But but let's look where the thanks spring from, right? Let's look at it. he says, I give thanks to God for what? Your faith and love, right? <laughs> Someone scared us. I give thanks to God. The thanks is for what? Thanks and what else? He gives thanks on behalf of their faith in who? Christ Jesus. Right? And what are those based on? What are those based on? Because of the hope, right? That is where? Stored up in heaven, right? And why? Why? Why is the hope? What's the root of the hope? What is the root of the Colossians' hope? Why do they even have a hope? We talked about this morning, folks. Word of truth, the gospel. So we see that the gospel, the gospel is the root of all Paul's thanks, all Paul's uh, praise and instruction to the Colossians. Hope. Hope is, look at it this way. The, the, the Colossians responded to the gospel. They believed in Jesus Christ. They heard the good news. And in hearing and in believing the hope, they had two responses. What's the first response? Hope. Okay? They hoped. It wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a dead hope. Right? It wasn't a dead hope. It was a hope that was living. It was a hope that was founded in the gospel. 
what is the gospel? We talked about it this morning. What does the gospel mean in simple words? The good news, right? Euangelion, right? It's a Greek word. When, the, when there would be a victory in battle, maybe days away, they'd send out a runner, and he would run. And as he would come up to the city, he would cry out, Euangelion, Euangelion. That was, he would cry, good news, good news. It was a word of victory, okay? It was delivered by a messenger, okay? The, inside the New Testament, it's a singular word. Good news, one thing. Not, I have many good newses or many good tidings. It was always a singular word in the New Testament. So what is the gospel? Good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, The gospel of the kingdom. We see in Matthew, three times in Matthew, only there, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark 1.1, 1, 1, we're studying it now with Bob. It's the only gospel, that's what it means. It says the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus, and then he says, and later on in that first chapter of Mark says, and Jesus proclaimed the gospel of God, that the kingdom of God is at hand. That was the good news. The kingdom of God had come. They were able to have a right relationship in the realm of God. They could have that through Jesus Christ. The gospel of God. The gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of Christ. The gospel of his son. The gospel of your salvation. The gospel of peace. All these are, are words, descriptive words of the gospel. The good news that we can be saved from our sin and restored in right relationship with God. We talked about this morning. Why is the gospel good news? Genesis what? 3. Man fell. Fell out of right relationship with God. Under God's wrath. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel's good news because we have been saved from that. Now, since the Colossians had received that gospel, they had hope. Where was the hope? Was it here? Was it in Colossae? Was the hope in Colossae? No. Where was it? In heaven. Right? It was in heaven. Their hope was laid was not laid up in Colossae, the empire, or even Jerusalem. But it was laid up in heaven, and that is where God is. It was laid up in His realm. From the Bible, what do we know about this hope? Can you even think of 1 Peter? I'm thinking of 1 Peter. What does it say? For you have been born again to a living hope. A living hope. Uh, Colossians 1.20 says, It is the hope of glory. 2 Corinthians says that it is a hope of a permanent glory okay um, acts 23 6 speaks about the hope we have if you go to romans 8 it says that the creation groans groans in eager expectation of waiting for the sons of god to be revealed go to romans 8 real quick let's look at that hope for a minute let's kind of define let's put some meat on it so to speak I'm going to verse uh, 18. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Okay. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
not only the creation, verse 23, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. For in this, okay, so let's go finishing 23. Who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as what? We eagerly await what? The adoption. The adoption as sons, comma, or the redemption of our bodies. Okay? Our hope. Our hope laid up in heaven. Adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. Our bodies are what now? Fallen. Pain. Broken. So part of this hope that we have is being in, being in God's presence, but being there with redeemed bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? For if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Okay? Remember, part of the falsehood that's being taught is that the body is bad. It is the root of evil. Okay? Even in this prayer, Paul's saying your hope is stored up in heaven, is stored up in a right relationship with God, in the presence of God, in the kingdom of God, what these people would understand is that it was in a hope of redemption. Redeemed from our sin, a hope for an adoption of sons, a restoration of our bodies, the resurrection and the hope. What are the three virtues? Faith, hope, and love. Now we wait for hope how? We wait for it patiently is what we said in Romans, right? We wait for it patiently, but we don't wait passively. We wait patiently, but we don't wait passively. What did this hope give birth to for the Colossians? What? Faith in Christ. That's a response that's oriented vertically. And what I didn't write was love. And who was the love for? The saints, and I'm going to say that's a horizontal response. So the hope that is stored up for us in heaven has a response. It's not just, oh, I hope, and we sit around. No, it, it evokes a response within us. A faith in Christ Jesus and a love for the saints. Okay, It is not passive. Um, note the word all. Our love is for all the saints, not for those saints whom we like. <laughs> okay? It is, a, it is a love that is indiscriminate toward those who are in Christ. True love does not distinguish. John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Right? Same thing with the faith in Christ. True hope, true faith, a genuine faith. Our faith is only as effective as its object. What's the object of their faith? Christ. You can have genuine faith in the wrong thing and you are without hope. Okay? There, there are people out there, there are, there, are, there are Mormons, there's Jehovah's Witnesses, there are, quote, Christians that are hoping in their good works. Right? They're hoping that, we talked about that sin today, right? The missing the mark. Well, maybe I didn't hit the bullseye, but, but what, I'm, I'm close. If I shoot enough arrows, I'm going to accumulate enough points in the ring that'll add up to that bullseye, right? So I'll, I, I, you know, I get that. No, no, no. 
Our faith is in Jesus Christ and His perfection. That is the object of our hope, not our works. The faith is in Jesus Christ. You know, we do see that who brought this, who brought the good news of this gospel to these people? Epaphras. All right, what do we see? He, he brought the news to Paul about the, about the Colossians. It caused this response of thanks. What do we see in verse, in chapter 14, verse 14, chapter 4, verse 14? What do we see about Epaphras? What do we learn about him there at the end of the book? What does it say? Right? He's servant. He struggles for them. Right? Uh, actually, it's verse 12. Your Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, he greets you, always struggling in prayer on your behalf. Okay? Paul's ministry was to evangelize Epaphras. That's what we think. Epaphras, being filled with the hope, what? Went and told the gospel to his brother, to those who were like him, to other Colossians in Colossae. Okay? So Paul's ministry was indirectly to the Colossians. Paul calls him a fellow servant, or literally a fellow slave. Our translations like that word servant. It sounds a little bit better to our ears. Paul says, he is a sundulos. He is a fellow slave. I am a slave of Christ. Epaphras is a slave of Christ. He is faithful to the Colossians. Why is he faithful to them? Because he had great affection for Paul. Why is he faithful to the Colossians? What's it say? He was faithful to Christ on your behalf. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Right? It is because of Christ that he is faithful to them. In Philemon, if we go to the, the letter that would have accompanied this, Philemon was a, a personal letter he wrote. Paul wrote to Philemon. We see that he calls uh, Epaphras his fellow prisoner. So what we think is that Epaphras was so effective in the gospel that <laughs> he brought the Roman wrath down on himself. And he was probably a fellow prisoner with Paul. That's why he did not return this letter. We find out later that Tychicus brings this letter back to, to the, uh, the Colossians. All right? Not Epaphras. He was probably in prison in Rome with Paul. He told Paul of their love in the Spirit. He wasn't tattling. He wasn't out being a tattletale and being down on them. No. He told, first of all, Paul of the love the Colossians had, but he also had concerns. He also has concerns. Verses 3 through 8 is a prayer of thanks, a prayer of gratitude to God for the Colossians. The prayer emphasized thanks for their spiritual well-being, and spiritual fruit. He was thankful that the gospel was bearing fruit and growing. When you pray for others that are believers, when you pray for brothers and sisters in Christ, how do you pray for them? What's the first prayer when you think, when do you pray for people? When we get the prayer list that someone's fallen, their knees broke, or, or do we actually, is our first thought in prayer, thanksgiving for each other is our first thought of prayer of thanksgiving because their love they show to other people is our first thought in prayer of thanksgiving because of the faith they have in jesus christ and the way it responds in fruit is our first thought in prayer for others because our brothers and sisters in christ have a hope that is stored in heaven is that the emphasis of our prayer or are our prayers focused on this world on this earth 
Okay? It's convicting to me. Okay? Now, when you pray, what do we pray for? What does it teach us about what our desires for our fellow believers should be? What does this, what does this prayer teach us? Think, think about that as we look through it. Now, having expressed thanks to God for the Colossians, Paul now moves on. Okay? He moves on to his next thought. And so, and so from the day we heard, what did he heard? He heard about them responding to the gospel. He heard about the hope they had. He, he heard about the love they had for the, the saints and the faith they had in Christ. And so, since the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Right? Asking, asking. Here's what he asked God. Here's what his request was. Asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That we will look at the world through the eyes of God. That's right. That's right. And and when we walk in that manner, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. Paul says, may you be strengthened. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Right? Giving thanks to the Father, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. This is Paul's prayer petition for the Colossians. Okay? He's thanked God. He's praised God. And now he comes and he, and he says, I, here's what I'm praying for you all. Here's my prayer for you because I've heard of this good news about you. Okay? For this reason, because of this good report from Epaphras, because you responded to the Colossians, I'm praying this. His prayer of petition proceeds from his thanksgiving. Paul didn't say good job and leave it there. He just didn't say, good job, guys. Good job. No, he said, he said, good job. Now, here's what I'm praying for you. Press on. Press on in Christ. Okay? Now, what does Paul mean when he says, we've not ceased? Does that mean all Paul did was sit around and pray? Right? Was he a monk? Was Paul a monk? No, Paul was busy. Now, Paul's in prison right now. But we see Paul was full of energy. He's working for a living most of the time, making tents. He's teaching when he was in the churches. You can get the feeling in Rome he was always talking to people, right? And they were stressful thoughts because right. he, argued with he, he argued with people. Those, those, those Romans were probably so ready to get, get off that, their duty, their 24 hours of duty to Paul. This guy will not stop talking about the gospel, right? But Paul was always trying to convince them, right? But I think people understood. Paul was a man that impacted people. He always struggled for the Colossians. All of our life. And so I'm saying this. So when Paul says that he prayed without ceasing, what he's saying is all of his life had God as his focus. As people and circumstances came into his life, his first thought was probably Godward. That's what it should be for us. We should be God conscious as we move through the circumstances of life. Uh, you know, it says in Acts about Cornelius that he was a godly man who prayed continually to God. Well, we know 
Cornelius didn't pray continually. He was a centurion. He had, he had men under him. But actually, he prayed continually to God. In other words, it, it spoke to his nature. He was in a constant commune, whether he was making decisions, whether he was building that synagogue for him, whether he was just being a soldier, Cornelius, in a sense, prayed continually to God. It was the way in which he lived. Nehemiah. I saw this one in the commentaries. Nehemiah goes for the king. He's, he, his face is down. And the king says, Nehemiah, why are you frowning in my presence? And what does it say Nehemiah did? First, he stepped back and said, Oh, Lord, give me the words to speak. First thought. He was conscious of God always in his life. He, I don't think he went into the king with that plan. But when the king asked a question, his first response was not, What am I going to say? His first response was, Oh, Lord, give me words to speak. So that's, I think, what it means to pray without ceasing. So what was Paul's prayer for them? What was Paul's prayer for the Colossians? That you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Filled with the knowledge of God. You know, when you think of filled, what kind of feelings is he talking about? Yeah, let's say you got this, think of a weird shaped object, or a weird shaped volume, because we're all pretty weird shaped. Okay? And it says, you fill it up with liquid, and that liquid moves and fills every nook and cranny of it. Okay? Filled to overflowing. And that's what Paul's saying. I want you to be filled in that way, filled completely, filled to overflowing with the knowledge of his will for you. Now, he's not talking about I want you to have the knowledge of God's will of what color of socks to wear today, right? Or, or what job or where to move. No, what he's saying is, I want you to have the knowledge of God's will. He wants them to come to a deep and abiding understanding of Jesus Christ. He, he, he wants that understanding of Christ, the preeminence of Jesus Christ, what it means in their life to to impact them in everything they do. Okay? The way they handle false teaching, the way they act toward each other, with the relationships with, with their wives or children or employers. In other words, God's will is that we live in a way that glorifies Him. And Paul, that's what Paul's saying. I want you to have the knowledge of God's will in that way. Wisdom and understanding. Spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom begins with what? What does Proverbs teach us? Fear the Lord. I think that's part of what Paul's saying, right? Knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding have a proper view of the Lord. Right? That's where, our, that's where wisdom begins. Why are we to grow in wisdom and understanding? Why are we to grow in wisdom and understanding? What's Paul say? So as to what? Walk, barefoot, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Our walk doesn't gain our right standing. It's because we have a right standing with God. And, and Paul will go on and make sure they understand that. Okay? Our, our walk that is worthy of the Lord, okay, the way in which we live life, doesn't gain us right standing with God. It's because we have a right standing with God. Paul is praying that their walk will match their standing. 
that their walk will match their, their position with God. Now, Paul gives an exhortation and a purpose. Okay, What's this manner of life to look like? I heard part of it. So, all right, if we're to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, what's it look like? There's four things I see there. Four things. Um, if you, they're participles. Participles are I and G words in the, in the English language. Right? So what's the first thing we're to do as we walk in a manner worthy of Him? What? Bearing fruit in every good work. John 15, 8 says that, we are, that God is to be glorified in us as we are bearing much fruit. Romans 7, 4 says that we have died to the law and we have been raised in Christ to bear fruit. What is that fruit? We often say it's just that we win others to Christ or lead others to Christ, but it also could be just in our attitude as... That, that's right, Bill. Exactly, and that's what I've got. I get to the, you know the first thing we think of is converts. First Corinthians sixteen fifteen. Paul says to the Corinthians, "You're my fruit. You're you're, you're the fruit of my work." But Galatians five twenty three says, "What the fruit of the spirit is?" Exactly, exactly, in the way in which we carry out. Um, Hebrews thirteen fifteen says that praise of God is the fruit that we have. So, so as we sit there and, and we hear someone proclaim the gospel in the, in, in the meeting, when we sing and our hearts well up and we sing out and we praise God, in a sense, that is bearing fruit. That, 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 is, that is fruit get, being born from the tree that Christ has birthed in us. Now, what else is you pray for them? You bear fruit and that you what? Increase us uh, so to bear fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. If you, I think some of your translations instead of increasing will say what? What does your translation say? I think who's got an NASB? I think it says growing in the knowledge of God. I like that. It's continuing that metaphor of fruit and growing. He wants us to grow in the knowledge of God. Now, in in a previous class, we talked about that. Knowledge of God is, is knowing, not just having, okay, God is, God is a spirit. Uh, God created the earth in six days. Um, God is part of the, God the Father is part of the Trinity, which is the Holy Spirit and the Son. And God, that's not what Paul's saying. It's, it's growing the knowledge of God is knowing as in Adam knew Eve. God says to Israel, you only have I known Okay, he he knew it. he knew the whole world. He knew all the nations, but he says to Israel, "You only have I known." It is speaking of a relationship. Okay, all right. It's speaking of having a right relationship with God. He wants us to grow in the relationship knowing of God. First Peter two two says what that we should hunger for God's word like babes for milk. That's how we grow in the knowledge of God through His word. First okay. John 2 5 says as we grow in knowing God as we grow in the right relationship with God that will lead to obedience okay growing in knowing leads to growing in obedience okay because we have a, we, we become more like him Philippians 1 9 says that we abounding in love with knowledge and discernment God wants us to be discerning and we should do so with love. 
Okay? So growing in the knowledge of God is growing with discernment. Okay? How do we grow in the knowledge of God? We should know His Word. As we compete with prayer, in prayer, His Holy Spirit. We, we, have, we, we have a relationship with His Spirit that dwells in us. So we grow in the knowledge of God. Then Paul says this, May you be strengthened, being strengthened with all power. Okay, being strengthened with all power is a better way to say that, I think. Okay, so to walk in a manner worthy of him is being strengthened with all power for all in what? According to his glorious might. Um, verse 129, turn to, just, just turn later on there in that same chapter. Paul talks a little bit about that. Paul talks about his warning and teaching everyone, right? He says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, all God's power that he powerfully works in me. Right? So, to live in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, results or looks like being strengthened in God's power. That's the word for dynamite. Okay? God's power, his power, strengthens us. Okay, Paul's not looking for us to find some strength within ourselves. He's not saying, gut it up, you know, uh, suck it up, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. He says, no, it's, it's God's power that works within us. Colossians 1.29, God's power empowers us for his service. Okay, so to walk in a man more than him, when we do that, we are strengthened for his service. Um, Romans 15.13 says, The power of the Holy Spirit causes us to abound in hope. The power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us causes us to abound in hope. And what what does hope cause? What does hope lead to? What's hope lead to? Faith in Christ Jesus and a love for all the saints. So God's power through the Holy Spirit leads to hope, which causes us to love the saints and have faith in Christ Jesus. It all wraps back around. And a life that's lived worthy of the Lord, not only does it bear fruit, not only does it cause us to be growing in the knowledge of Him, or growing in our right relationship with Him, not only causes us to be strengthened in Him with His power, but it's a result in giving thanks to Him. A life lived worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, is a life of giving thanks to Him. A life, here's a, a life and thought that expresses thanks. That's what a life worthy of Him looks like. Are we thankful to Him as a matter of course? Are we grumbling? Are we discontent? Now, to live a life worthy of Him, to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, is to live thankful. You know, I, I, I can think of... Charlene's not here. Gordon is. I can embarrass her for, on his behalf. But you know what? I, I know that Charlene's had quite a bit of pain on her back. You know, I know the things she's dealt with. I don't know all the things. But I've known Charlene now for, for a dozen years. And I tell you, there is a thankfulness and a joy in her that, that's just there. You, you all know it. Okay? Ruth Grimm, same way. Okay, you, you know people that that walk with the Lord. There's just a there's a joyful thankfulness in their demeanor. That is what we should be at. 
Right? That, that's, that, that thankfulness to the Lord is what should exude from us when we talk to people, non-believers and believers. That is what, when, you know, the old Dave Ramsey, how you doing? I'm doing better than I deserve. Well, that should be a genuine from the heart response. Okay? Why are we doing better than we deserve? Because I deserve the wrath of God. And I have been delivered from that to life. And as I come into understanding of that, as I grow in spiritual wisdom, as I grow in understanding, my response, my response is to be one of thankfulness. In, in, when Paul was in jail, what did he say? I have learned to what? Be joyful in all circumstances, right? That's right. Giving thanks with joy should characterize a worthy walk. You know, when, when Paul was in Philippi, and it was in the middle of the night, it says Paul and Silas were doing what? Praying and singing hymns. I don't think they were funeral dirges. Okay? I don't think they were calling out, God, deliver us from these stocks. I, I, I don't think that's what they were doing. I think they were praying the good news of the gospel and thanking him. Otherwise, why would the why would the Philippian jailer have come to them and said, "Gentlemen, tell me what I must do to be saved"? Right? Acts doesn't. Luke doesn't tell us in Acts the content of those prayers. Boy, that Philippians jailer response when all the doors ripped open and Paul said, "Don't harm yourself. We are all still here." His response was, "Tell me what I must do to be saved." I think Paul. At, at, at it for their prayers and hymns of praise and thanksgiving. Yeah, you get the sense, you know, Paul said, I wish, I wish everyone was like I was, with, but except for these chains. But he says, I, I, I'm going to be chained for you. I'm going to be chained. I, I've learned to be joyful in every circumstance. Whether in want or need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, that's, boy, that's the most misused verse there is, right? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's not talking about finishing a race in the sense of sprinting over the line in a physical race. He's talking about the Christian race, enduring suffering. So why? Why are we joyful? Why are we to give thanks? Why are we to delight in, in, uh, in the strengthening of His power? Why do we long to grow and abound in the knowledge of God? Why do we bear fruit to His glory? Why do we do all these things? Why? Why? Verse 13. Well, that's right. And he's qualified us to share the inheritance of saints, to make us rich. Not rich with gold and silver in this world, but that inheritance that is imperishable, that is stored up for us in heaven. When we understand that, it causes us to respond in a worthy walk that is characterized by these things, by joy, thankfulness, a praise, a wanting to have a right relationship with him. Because the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and the, He's transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The f- that with the that, that's right. It's not here in this world. Like the, the cost, prosperity gospel, you know, the inheritance is not a white suit and a big hairdo. Okay, okay. And quite frankly, the inheritance is not even a, a, a nice house with a swimming pool and, uh, and a crime-free area of Dallas, Texas. An inheritance is in heaven. 
That's where it's stored up for us. The Father has qualified us to share an inheritance of His Son. Unperishable, unfading, undefiled is what Peter says in, his, in, in that first, uh, third verse of the first chapter. The Father has transferred us from darkness to light. We are redeemed already. We are forgiven in His beloved Son in Christ Jesus. And our response should be to live in a manner of the really... Now, that is Paul's prayer for them. What's our prayer for each other again? I want to bring it back to that. What do we desire for ourselves? I'd love for a Sunday to come along where men stood up, did nothing but pray that. I like prayers, Carrie's prayer this morning, right? thought of Louis Bach and his suffering, Orville and his suffering, other people and their suffering. Carrie's prayer was what? What was Carrie's prayer? Is it that they see they would endure, that they would walk worthy of the Lord in their pain, right? If the Lord delivers him, great. But we need to walk worthy of him right where, he, right where we are found in this, in this earth, right? In our jobs, in our family situations. That should be our prayer for each other. So, as we pray for each other this week, as you think of believers, you know at CBC, make that your prayer. Pray for them. Pray for them. That they would abound in love toward all the saints, that their faith in Christ Jesus would be strong, that they would hope that it was stored up in heaven, they would realize that. And that it would cause them to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. Right? That they would, that they would be thankful that they would bear fruit that glorifies God, right? that they would be strengthened with this power to preach the gospel, to live in a way that, that, uh, that is right before the Lord. Right? That's what our prayer should be for each other. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, thank you so much for the day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this prayer of Paul for the Colossians and how instructive it is. Lord, may we take it to our heart and may we have a, a, a right response to it and might it affect the way we pray for one another. Lord, be glorified in our lives as we walk in a manner that is worthy of you and your, and your wonderful Son. And it is in your Son's name we pray. Amen.